Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspiration.
uh, foundation, foundation, and, and I, love I love that, that you are now a wolf sanctuary. sanctuary. Tell, tell us, us um, tell us tell just a little, little bit about, about wolves uh, and their relationship to the domestic dog. Well, as you mentioned, nowadays people have the wolf dogs, and and the dogs share a little bit of DNA from the wolf. But you're right when you said there is still something different that makes a wolf a wolf. And the depth of the instinct and the drive for that instinctive behavior is so strong in those wild canines that when people are wanting to create something wolf and dog to to live in a home setting, they still experience a great deal of that strength of instinct. And you often find folks getting in over their head. Uh, there are situations where a wolf dog is just fine in a home setting with the right educated owner, but the ingenuity, the intelligence, these animals with that wolf instinct are way more adept at figuring things out and problem solving. And the issue is that problem solving becomes major problems for the normal quote, dog owner. So um, it really is something of a specialty to, to work with and understand the wolves and then the wolf dogs as well, because even if you're bringing in some dog behavior, instinct of the wolf characteristic is very strong and does not suppress that easily with an influx of dog genetics. Okay, that's very good to know because I think maybe we should get across the point that um, even though they are stunningly gorgeous, they don't necessarily make good pets. They're very hard to be good pets. And the excitement of saying you have a wolf dog, I can understand people who have seen TV shows and have met someone who says they have a wolf dog and the thrill of, of a very challenging animal. It's exciting. It's a, a, a new adventure for someone. But when you walk into those stores that still do sell those puppies and you see this cute, adorable little wolf hybrid, you really, really do the animal a disservice when you are not an experienced, educated owner that knows the challenges and the troubles you're going to get into with a dog with such strong instincts. And you also have to watch, you might be getting um, a little bit of a false representation and paying a lot of money for a northern breed mix that has very little wolf in it. So it's, it's definitely a research-required uh, event or activity to partake in if you're going to consider that as your pet or attempting to make your pet. <laughs> sure. Well, and I noticed that on the site um, where we're talking about or looking at pictures of the wolf dogs and you have uh, descriptions of them, um, you refer to them as low content or mid content or high content. Um, talk a little bit about what that means. Absolutely. So in the wolf dog realm, the majority of people who are creating these animals are not using a pure wolf. They've already uh, established a breeding group of animals that are wolf dog to breed with other wolf dogs. 
And so, in the realm of wolves, you have uh, 100% wolf genetics, and you put it into some dogs. You have the first generation coming out as a 50%, 50% from the mom, 50% from the dad, the dog or the wolf either side. Uh, but it becomes convoluted beyond that. So, genetics and percentages are very hard to distinguish. So when you get an animal, you put it into categories based on a subjective phenotype with all of its characteristics, behaviors, mannerisms, confirmation, and you can tell for a, if you've got enough experience for a, the best part if they're a low amount of wolf, say somewhere in the... 10, 20, 30% of wolf if you were able to get a percentage, but there's not that much wolf in them, just a few wolf traits or a few wolf features, and then you go up from there. If they kind of border on looking and acting halfway wolf and halfway dog, you would have a mid-content wolf dog. And then, again, if you have something that looks almost pure wolf, but just a few dog characteristics, maybe their ears are a little bit larger than they would be if it was a pure wolf, you would consider it a high-content wolf dog. And high-content wolf dogs, if they're very close to a pure, are just as challenging as a pure wolf as uh, the mid-content become a little bit easier to work with, but not always. And typically, the lower-content animals are going to be where you can have some better success at acclimating them uh, to, say, leash work and dog-dog interactions and off-property excursions because you have the majority of genetics coming from the dog. And so that's where low, mid, and high come in with your categorization. That is very helpful. I appreciate that. Um, So talk to us, Kim, because I I don't know the answer to this question, and so I'm sure a lot of other people don't. Name some of the challenges that you would have in um, trying to keep a wolf or a high-content, mid-content wolf dog as a pet. Typically, the digging is exacerbated way further than what you would experience as even a a northern breed, say a husky type of a dog. The digging uh, around your perimeter fence line or your garden fence, the jumping, the athletic ability of these animals is greatly increased. They actually watch and learn incredibly quickly. So if you make a mistake and let them see how latches work on your doors, they will very quickly learn how to open doors and get into or out of places that they should not be in or out of. So they will, they will actually scale, easily scale six foot and sometimes even eight foot fencing. And a lot of times you have to put a fence line up with an angled inward fence at the top to keep them from climbing out. Your inside life can become a nightmare with the potty training. And it's something that when people are hitting the 12-week, 14-week-old stage of a dog, you're getting the potty training habits down. 
And with the wolf dogs, a lot of times potty training, it's a year, two years, three years, and you may never get potty training, as well as the interior destruction. If you have a leather sofa, a leather tastes really good to a wolf dog. <laughs> but a leather chew toy is a real nice thing. So it's really hard to keep your things nice with wolf dogs. And some dogs as well, I do I do admit that there are some tough, challenging doggy dogs out there, but most of the training that you use with wolf dogs becomes exponentially challenged because of that instinct and that drive of the wolf. What about um, integration with other um, pet family members? Is that an issue? Yes, absolutely. There are times because nothing is 100% all the time. So on occasion, from a young age, you can acclimate a very low-content wolf dog to a typical prey item animal. So, for example, your family cat um, or pet rabbit uh, may be able to have brief moments in the early days that they get along with the young wolf dog. However... Most of the time, it is a very risky uh, business to try to acclimate a wolf dog to a small pet, even a small dog in the family. So their drive instinct, that prey drive, is just very ingrained, and you, you can do some work, but you're going to really want to supervise in all situations where they are loose or together. And I really wouldn't suggest it as an unsupervised, left-alone kind of situation. And then with the small dogs, we have had successful adoptions with a low-content wolf dog and a smaller dog in the family. But it's really driven by that individual's temperament, and it's not the general rule of thumb when working with wolf dogs and small animals. Your hamsters, uh, really, <laughs> your guinea pigs, I really wouldn't uh, want to test the waters with a wolf dog and those little tiny critters. It's better to be safe, always to be safe with your animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I have a uh, a husky Labrador mix, so that would not even fall into the category of wolf dog. Um, Despite the fact that his name is actually Wolfie, but um, he he will find and kill a mole in our yard by listening to the ground and then digging it up. Oh, absolutely. Yes, that is amazing. And and this is a dog dog. And that instinct is still very strong for that drive to find that critter. So, yes, I can only imagine, um, you know, if he was, I mean, he, and he's just part husky. That's all. Right. Right. So, um, I also, you also hear people saying about Huskies just in general that, um, they tend to be diggers, jumpers, escape artists. And, and I think what I hear you saying is that you take the, uh, wolf dog or the wolf and you just multiply that by a lot. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do see a lot of, uh, Husky owners going through pretty strong learning curves. 
on having to reinforce their bottom fence line and top fence line because of the escape risk, because of the, the northern breed instinct and intelligence as well. And it, it, it is. It's, you might as well multiply it by 10 because those wolf dogs, they just, if they can't get under and they can't get over, they might decide to just start chewing on the wooden fence and go through. <laughs> so especially if there's something on the other side that they really want so, uh, you know, and the other you know, thing, the thing is, is, one of the biggest things, things is the social, social ability. ability. Your Husky, Your husky lab, lab mix, I'm sure, sure is happy, happy to meet to other, people other people versus, versus the, instinct the instinct of the wolf, of the wolf even when even put when into a very socialized, socialized temperamented, temperamented dog, dog, they really they want really to be reclusive from strangers. strangers. They are not they that, that outgoing and wanting to be socially involved with groups and other strangers. So that makes it really hard on your typical dog ownership and, and excursions with your animal. Absolutely. Well, and I think I remember you saying in the past too, Kim, that um, especially in your environment where you have a number of individual uh, wolves and wolf dogs that you have to pair males with females and or males with males, but not females with females. It does become a lot riskier with females and females. And uh, you have to watch it very closely. Uh, we do currently have two young females who uh, were sisters, who are sisters, and they are together. And they are they are just two years old, but we have to watch that pairing very carefully because typically, as things progress with the maturation, uh, they a lot of times this kind of companionship will deteriorate. Uh, the boys tend to get along, especially when you do um, spay and neuter for management, and and when you you know you're not into the breeding. So you're, you're taking a little bit of that extra hormone oomph out of the system, but there's still the innate temperament of the animal that may or may not be conducive as they mature to a same-sex pairing, even if it's a sibling, even if it's like a mother-daughter or a father-son. Um, but what we have found that works the best is a male-female pairing, and then um Typically, the, the male males, if they're not of a strong temperament, will do well together. So that's, that's really a, a key point is looking at your temperament. Okay, so that's where we come back to you being that canine relations specialist and being able to recognize um, the dog traits and, and having a skill set that most of us don't have. And because of this special skill set, you wrote a book called From Wags to Riches. I love that name. And uh, tell us a little bit about the book, Kim, and what motivated you to write that. Well, quite a few years ago, I had uh, come into Florida and was working at the very beginning stages of the animal rescue realm. And... When, when In Harmony, in Harmony with, Nature with Nature first, first uh, was, created, was created, it was, it was uh, after, after the death, the death of Steve Irwin, the crocodile, crocodile hunter. hunter, 
and I had seen a quick interview with Barbara Walters and Steve's wife, and he mentioned how he wanted um, his Australian zoo to be in harmony with nature. And so I knew that's the, what, the name of, of what our sanctuary was going to be. And as we were working on creating in harmony and uh, the concepts of helping people with their dogs, I... I wanted to write a book to, to guide people, not just with their dogs, but also with their own life, to help their lives improve to how they, they are feeling and dealing with things in life, because all of that affects how you come home and deal with your dog. And it's one of those situations where you wake up in the morning with something in your head, and I woke up in the morning and had from wags to riches in my head, and I thought, oh, it must be a book or a story already. So, of course, you go to Google, and you start your Google searches, and there was nothing out there but a cartoon from the 60s called From Wags to Riches, and it was an ep- a little episode of a cartoon. So I immediately uh, went to domain searches and put in From Wags to Riches, and lo and behold, this gravitated into the name of the book because there wasn't anything out there with that title. And I wanted people to really connect with their dogs and help let the dogs almost be the therapist and let them be your guide to your own life improvement. So from the wag, being the tail wag, you could achieve riches in your life. And not riches is not just monetary, but life is full of all kind of riches of connections of, of uh, people and, and places and, and families, etc. So from wags to riches evolved into sort of a self-help personal guide where your doggy gets a benefit too. <laughs> oh, yay. Okay. I, I, li- I like that concept, of course. Um, and, and I think most dog lovers would agree that um, our dogs do help us in so many ways become uh, better people and, and just nicer to be around overall. Absolutely. And, and and I did publish the book back in 2008, and I'm a little negligent on getting uh, my second or third book out, and it's just because running the sanctuary and being involved here takes a lot of effort of my day, but it definitely will be more books. But when I read From Wags to Riches, it really was one of the first books to talk about how the energy of the human is a major factor in working and living with your dogs. And they do. They, they really do mirror and give us a lot back if, if we are willing to pay attention to their feedback. And actually, let our egos go and know that sometimes their bad behavior is really because of us. I've heard it said that there are no bad dogs, only bad owners, right? Well, and I'm not even going to judge the owners because it's just that they're there to learn something. And But, yes, I have heard that be said, and it does have a hint of truth to it, yes. So, um, so in your book, you refer to something called the wolf song. Talk to me about what that is. Everybody knows that wolves will have a very melodic howl, and it goes beyond the vocalization. When you you think of a wolf pack, pack, and and some of of 
the stories out there talk about the alpha male or the alpha female. And what they're referring to is the mother and the father. And so the wolf pack is a family unit. They connect in a very strong family way. The aunts, the uncles, the, the older and younger siblings become the pack. And together, that, that family unit, that pack, that, that whole life is a song for the wolf. That, how they live in nature, they connect in nature, they, they work together for the strength of the family to survive, they overcome the challenges. And so when you look at a wolf pack, it's an incredibly endearing adventure story with ups and downs and, and true heartache and, and troubles and hardships, but some of the most joyous adventures as well. And through all of that picture, it's the wolf song. And if we humans take some of that into our own family units and, and realize that Many human families follow suit to the way the wolf pack works just innately, not even knowing it. We just are very driven to work together. And when we have problems, if we follow that wolf song of working together, and your family doesn't necessarily have to be what you were born into. There are you know, created families, that, you know, offsprings go off and create their own new families. Collective, collective group of friends, friends can be a family. Can be a family. So, so it's whatever situation, a corporation can be considered a family. Any little Any entity little that works that together, works together as a group or a pack or a loving community can follow along with those same wolf song tenets of the strengths together, working together, everything being for all of the good of each of us. And not and just, not just what's, good what's good for this one only. So that's what the wolf song is. It's an all-encompassing, essentially, the way of life. Well, and I guess for anybody who's ever done any bit of study about um, pack behavior, um, and this, this holds true for not just uh, wolves or, or um, wolf dogs, but also lots of different animals in the wild, is that it does take that whole group and everybody with their individualized um, job or expertise or skill set that makes that whole um, that whole family or tribe or herd or whatever you want to call it work in the way that it's supposed to for survival. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, a lot of people don't really know the ins and outs of, of some of the true instincts of the pack. But, you know, the, the father, he's, he's considered the alpha in, in human terms. And he has offspring and, and some brothers and sisters that live with the pack. And so his yearlings and his, his two-year-old offspring, they're out together on a hunt. And, you know, typically, you know, the father is older, he's stronger, he's wiser. But those one- and two-year-olds, they're leaner, they're faster. So, you know, when they're out on a hunt, those young guns are out there running and chasing the prey down to tire them. And then the, the heavier, stronger, older wolves uh, come in to help make the final kill blow, so to speak, and, and help the family eat. So it's a team effort. 
And then with the rearing of the young, once those pups come out of that den, you know, the, the, the rest of the family is also involved and excited with the rearing of the pups. And it's just such a, it's a, a wonderful event. And it's very sad that, uh, unfortunately, not everybody does like the wolf. And when a single member or a, a potential pair are killed in a... Um, situation because of maybe uh, the wolves got too close to the, the farmers or whatnot. Uh, it's affecting a whole family. It's literally like having a family member not come back from an expedition to feed your family. And it, you have to really regroup and hope you can survive without that missing family member who is uh-huh. Yep, yep. Uh, absolutely, absolutely understand that. That's, that's, and that's and that's what makes, what makes um, uh, that group that behavior, behavior so interesting, interesting for, for a lot of a people, lot of to, people study. to study. Um, um, so you, so you, we know we from know talking from to you that you do have this passion for wolves and for wolf dogs and, and dogs in general. Um, so you are running in harmony with nature animal haven here in the orlando area um tell us about if people are interested how can they help can they come out to visit just tell us a little bit about the sanctuary basically we always we do run with a waiting list for our volunteer program but we are um, always looking for people who do want to volunteer on property because we will have orientations and call up um, our, our waiting list to get folks together in a group to start new programs uh, for a new a group of volunteers. It takes a village to run the facility, and so when we, we are training, it takes a bit of time. Obviously, you can't just be thrown into the... We, we can't just throw you to the wolves. <laughs> so, um, you know, volunteering is, is very important because that's how this facility continues to function on a physical scale. We need people to help us. It's labor-intensive. It's muddy sometimes. It's wet when it rains. It is Florida rainy season. And it's hot, too. But we have very dedicated volunteers, and we're always looking for more. Uh, We are also totally donation-based. So, uh, unfortunately, we don't have open-to-the-public doors because we're not a USDA-permitted facility. And it's, and it's it's for the benefit of the animals because uh, bringing strangers in just on a sort of a daily basis, it, it's stressful for the animals because their instinct is to stay away from strangers. So a, a visitation would require a few steps beforehand. You know, we would need to do an orientation to show you what a volunteer program looked like, and then we could set you up to uh, have a, 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 a visit here and and essentially, essentially, if you, if you contact, contact us through our website, ihwn.org, we have the contact page. You can send us a text message on our rescue line. If you'd like to volunteer, we can guide you with the application. If you'd like to donate, and donate is not just financial. We always need materials like building materials for enclosures. Uh, we need wood for the, the posts and whatnot, and as well as typical cleaning items like paper towels and socks. <laughs> so helping uh, run the facility is is uh, 
an expansion of the typical household's need of items, uh, shovels, rakes, things break all the time, so we're, we're having to purchase other rakes and shovels. And then, obviously, the financial side, we do have have uh, great sponsors. We have corporations who donate awesome products to us. So if your corporation is looking to help out, we have benefits for them as well. We love to do team-building programs with corporations who care to join us in sponsorship. And um, those are just some of the ways that people can help with the organization and trying to get to know us and come out and definitely on Facebook as well we, we love to interact with our, our fans on friends on Facebook absolutely well and I noticed that um, where you have a um, on the website at ihwn.org you can meet the animals and um, the dogs and the cats that are listed there are they for adoption or just for interest sake at this point, most of our adoptable animals have already found their home. Uh, there are a few that may have adoptable uh, adoptability. What's going to happen is somebody's going to come and volunteer and meet and bond with them. You're going to need bonding time with any of the animals that we have left that could be adopted. So uh, some of our cats have now hit because we're not currently doing a lot of the cat work and the other animal work with adoptions and rescue, a lot of our cats are 10 and 50, up to 15 years old. So we give them sanctuary here for their last days. They have their own private patio that they could sit out and watch the wolves and uh, be safe. And then they have their indoor side as well. And then... You know, the other animals, a few of the domestic dogs that we have left from the days of our adoption work, they're a little bit older, and some of them have had behavior issues that it was just safer to let them stay with us, whether they were aggressive to strangers or fearful. It's just they missed an adoption window, so we've kept them here under sanctuary setting. So there's still a few that may find a home, but it's harder because of the bonding time that's required. Sure. Absolutely understood. Um, so nice to know that folks can um, sign up for the volunteer wait list. You can donate. Um, and as Kim said, not just money. Um, you can buy Kim's book. Um, that would be also a great thing to do and, um, and learn a lot more about uh, the human animal bond and especially with uh, canines. Um, if we wanted to buy a book, Kim, where could we buy one? Uh, the easiest thing to do is to just shoot us an email, shoot us a text on our rescue phone line, and we can get it out to you directly. Okay, and I see that there's information about the book on your website as well. And just to remind people, it's called From Wags to Riches by Kim Capes. And Kim is our special guest here today on the show. She is the uh, founder and the director of In Harmony with Nature, a wolf sanctuary. And um, in addition to wolves, they have some wolf dogs and some other uh, full-time members of their animal team that have just come to live there and are living out their lives there. Any, um, any future expansion in mind, Kim? We always keep our eyes open for, you know, a nice property. It's, it's, 
for wolves, it's fantastic if you can have a larger property. Uh, but one of the, the sides to that is it has to be already in the area where we're currently working so that our volunteer program can continue uninterrupted. So at this point, uh, what we do is we make, uh, as, as we have the ability to increase an enclosure, we will expand our facilities for individual animals. Uh, you know, we have one uh, in the works right now. We're, we're going to be building a new probably 1,500 to 2,000 square foot enclosure in the next three to four weeks. And then after that project, once we get the funding and the assistance with the help and labor on it, we're going to expand a few more of the enclosures to give our, our longer-term residents bigger areas so they, they get the add-on to their, their current home. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yes, yes. So we always uh, do work with enrichment programs for our animals. So there's some fun videos on Facebook and we do things to help keep them mentally enriched because they are so smart so that they enjoy life and, and don't have that burden that uh, a lot of people would worry about in, in captivity. Because these animals have all been bred in captivity. It's not something that is a wild animal coming out of the wild. They can't be released. There is no place for the captive-bred pet industry wolves or wolf dogs to go. So if the homes fail, if society can't help them but continues to create them, we owe it to them to give them the best life possible. And that's, that's what we do here with the ones that we have here. Well, I think that that sounds excellent. And uh, I think the advice is well taken that... Um, uh, people should not people should be not breeding, breeding um, wolf dogs, wolf dogs in, captivity in captivity because if they don't have a, a, uh, a life plan for those animals that they can end up in a sanctuary. And, and we've already talked about some of the issues that come up from a uh, behavior and training standpoint. So um, I, I always have to ask a, a personal question. So I'm sitting here with my little five-pound Pomeranian on my lap, and he's shaking like a leaf because um, it's typical Florida weather, and um, it's thundering outside. Do you have any advice for us dog owners that have dogs that are afraid of storms? <laughs> you know, you know the funny, the funniest thing is, is all of the, the wolves and the wolf dogs that reside outside. They could care less about the storm, about fireworks. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing how nature has a good way to ground their energies and keep them uh, tolerating what she can prevail with her sounds. <laughs> so. It's always our little domestic dogs that develop these storm phobias or these noise phobias. And I've come across quite a bit of them, and I will admit we have a great dame here as well at the rescue who does have a storm phobia. And so obviously there's, there's a few components to it. Nowadays, some of the hemp oil products are really good, but you do need to do your research on them and make sure that you have a quality product and the proper dosage. Um, I like those treats and the hemp oils to help take the edge off, and I also like to look back at what we are doing. So are you giving your doggy 
the triggers because every afternoon you've been conditioned to go, oh, boy, it's going to storm. Right. So you immediately start feeling a bit of that tension because you know it's going to storm and now your dog's going to get nervous. So it's a, so it's the chicken and the egg and the chicken and the, I'm sorry, the chicken, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So, you know, you know, your dog's getting nervous, but yeah, you're also conditioning yourself to going, oh, they're going to be nervous because it's going to storm today. Or you look at the map and go, oh man, we'll get the storm early today. And then they're already nervous when they see you because they're feeling what you're feeling. So work on your feelings. Work on what you are actually giving out and, and what that dog is picking up for you. So if you are completely calm and relaxed in preparation for the storm, you're going to help a lot. And then, yes, you can give some reassurance, but how much reassurance? And are you really actually coddling a little bit too much of the nervousness into your dog and reinforcing that nervousness? Uh, one of the things I would suggest, if you can, because you don't want to overload their system too much, too quick, but put a little raincoat on, take an umbrella, and when it's just starting to drizzle, take a really fun little walk. Let them see that and get grounded on Mother Earth and actually get out there and not not feel stressed, but feel the good flow of a good walk. Obviously, if we have a typical Florida torrential downpour, you're not going to want to be out in it. But do some prep work. Do a little bit of training in the drizzle stage when it's not really coming down heavy. You know, when it's just overcast. Go out for a nice little walk. And not something on concrete. Try to get on the grass. Get on the dirt so that your dog can help ground into the surface and and start to flow with a nice comfortable walk and and even if your dog is will she play with a toy oh yeah definitely and i i'm going to say i don't want to take responsibility for this because i wasn't paying any attention to my dog when she came over and jumped in my lap <laughs> yep, she, she told you. So now it's your turn to turn around and say, yep, there's nothing wrong right now. And I would take one of her favorite little tub toys, something you can let her really get a good bite on, and I would take her outside when she gets that nervous bit and, and give a little bit of excitement and get her to, to bite that little tug toy and pull it and push it to her and let her win that tug-of-war game like five times. And be outside when she's starting to get nervous, but you're going to have to pay attention to this because if she gets too nervous, she'll lose all focus on wanting to work with you. Right. Because she's, the nervousness is taking over. So you have to catch it early before she gets too nervous. But go outside, get some energy moving, and get some frustration and stress out of her with a little mini game of tug of war. And always let her win. Push, pull, push, pull. Ah, yeah, you got it. And let her win and praise her for winning. And then don't chase her down, but work with her to go in, in line with her and come around again with her, whether you have a food reward so you can do another round of tug and win. And get some of that stress out. You know, humans, we can go bite our fingernails if we're nervous. We can go, you know, call a friend or go to a therapist. But the dogs don't have that option. 
So all that stress energy, they start shaking and, and, and panicking. They need help to get that stress out, and that's what you got to do. If she's going to sit on your lap and you just kind of give her the reassurance, all it does is keep it in there. You've got to get it out. Very good advice. Very good advice. You hear that, Piper? Pay attention. Um, so uh, thank you, Kim, for that. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, because it was thundering out and because he had jumped on my lap, I was like, okay, well, we'll just throw this question out here. Um, so thank you for all you do, Kim. Thank you for um, In Harmony with Nature and the work you do on behalf of wolves and wolf dogs and the other animals that you have as part of your sanctuary. Um, I didn't mention that you do have some pigs and some reptiles out there um, in the form of some tortoises. So I would encourage people who are listening to um, become volunteers, to donate, or to um, become a corporate sponsor. And um, I think that's great. Please, please reach out, reach out um, to, Kim um, to Kim and, and read her book, read her From book Wags to Riches. Riches. And, um, and um, thank you again, thank you Kim, again for joining us. And for, and for our, our listeners, listeners, you can you find can us find on us All My Children, All My Children Wear, Wear for Coats. coats. Um, and you and can, you can find, find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Kids and Fur Coats. And we are sponsored by Animal Care Trust USA, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes and providing pet trust solutions. So thanks again, Kim. And until there are none, folks, please adopt one. And we will be with you each and every Monday at... 3 p.m. And, until, and then, until then, happy tales. Happy tales.